Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So we got another email uh, from, this time, Alejandro, who recommends that we watch Yellow Jackets on Showtime. And this is about, I don't know, we've had dozens of people write in. And so we just want to say we are watching it, and it's amazing. It sure is. It's a mystery. It's a horror. It's super nostalgic for me. Yeah, it's right in your wheelhouse because I mean, it takes place in the mid-90s. Well, part of it does, anyway. Yeah, yeah. And uh, basically, it's a, uh, a a girl's high school soccer team uh, is flying out to the national championship, and their plane crashes in the wilderness, mm. and they're lost for like 19 months and things get kind of shitty out there. Yeah, so it's kind of one of those flashback then and now type stories where you're getting bits and pieces and you're trying to put stuff together. It's really, really good. And it has made me search so many 90s clothing brands again. (laughs) Like I just ordered a co-ed naked Uh t-shirt. I'm definitely getting some Umbro shorts. Got to do it. Yeah. So thanks for the suggestion, you guys. We do. We love it, too. And keep those suggestions coming because we've just about blown through the entire first season. Why don't you go first today? Oh, that's very nice of you. No, it's not a matter of being nice. I just, I don't have my story completely ready yet. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's fair enough. Mm. Fair enough. I've been there. Bath, Maine. Bath, Maine. I lived there. Tell me everything. Actually, I know. I know it. I don't need to tell you. No, Um, no. but it was really weird because we found out that you lived in Bath for a while and my mom lived in Bath for a while. On the same street. On the same street. At different times. Of course. But that that was weird. I took her to Bath for her birthday one year and uh, we kind of walked around that same neighborhood just to kind of get some, hey, remember this vibes. Mm-hmm. And it was really fun for me. Mm-hmm. She wanted to go to the Common Ground Fair. Mm-hmm. So it yeah. um, well. wasn't a win for everyone. <laughs> the Carol A. Deering was built in a Bath, Maine shipyard in 1919. 
It was built for the G.G. Deering Company for commercial use and was named for the owner's son. It was a cargo ship, but it didn't matter that it was a cargo ship because it was built beautifully. It was 255 feet long, 44 feet wide, Oregon pine made up the masts, while the decking and interiors were a combination of mahogany, oak, hard pine, ash, and empress woods. There was plumbing on this boat. Wow. Steam, heat, and electricity, all rarities on these large sailing vessels at the time. And it was what you might call luxurious. Oh, you know how I love luxurious stuff. (laughs) Sorry. That was hilarious. <laughs> Luxurious stuff. <laughs> You're so cute. <laughs> it was designed to carry... <laughs> I'm sorry. It was designed to carry coal at a capacity of 3,500 tons, and she was the largest and the last ship ever constructed by G.G. Daring Company and one of the last wooden cargo ships ever built. She made her maiden voyage to Brazil with further journeys taking her to other South American countries and Caribbean ports. After about a year of cargoing, as cargoers do, in August of 1920, she picked up a load of coal in Norfolk, Virginia for delivery to Rio de Janeiro with her experienced captain, William H. Merritt, at the helm. Merritt was a hero of World War I, very experienced, and he had a crew of 11 men, including his son, Seawall Merritt, amazing name, uh, who served as his first mate. Seaward merit? Seawall. Oh, seawall. Okay. That's that's a whole different thing. <laughs> Who would name their son Seaward? <laughs> that makes me want to watch Arrested Development yeah, so badly. <laughs> Get the Seaward out of here. I'll leave when I'm ready. <laughs> anyway, uh, so the ship's on the way, and they had to dock in Delaware because... Captain Merritt became very ill, and it was determined while they were at dock that he was too sick to continue. So his son and first mate, Seawall Merritt, (laughs) stayed with his dad in Delaware, and it's probably for the best. A new captain and first mate had to be found, and the company chose Charles Warmel, a 66-year-old, well-respected ship's master with years of experience, and his first mate was chosen to be Charles McLellan. They've got a new captain, they've got a new first mate, they're back on the sea. September 8th, 1920. They made it to Brazil, no problems, and after they had dumped off their, their coal deposit, which sounds like a euphemism. <laughs> Dumping the coal deposit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the captain gave the crew some downtime, which I would think would be absolutely terrifying because you're leaving this boat, there's no internet or cell phones or anything, <laughs> and it's like, this is how you get home. Yeah. From Brazil in 1920? So you're just taking off like do 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 by boat, <laughs> and the plan was to depart on December second. But what if they change their mind? What if they're like, we gotta leave early, and you don't know? How do you know? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's just a little bit of my built-in fear leaking onto the story. <laughs> 
So while they were in town, Captain Warmel met with another captain, an old friend named George Goodwin, and he expressed his concern to Goodwin about the crew on the Deering. He said that they were unruly and that he wasn't sure that he trusted them, except for the engineer Herbert Bates, who apparently Herbert Bates is just good enough to rise above the riffraff. Hmm. He said specifically that he did not trust the first mate that had been chosen for him. He believed that McClellan was a troublemaker. So the time came to get back in the boat. Apparently everyone did it successfully, even though that terrifies me. Um, (laughs) And they took off to Bridgetown, Barbados, where they had to stop for supplies. Kat does have this deeply rooted fear of being on a cruise ship and being in port and somehow miscalculating departure time. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes... On our YouTube queue, videos will come up of people running back to the ship for whatever reason. You love it. You're uh, like, ha ha, look at him go. And I'm like, oh my God, what Kat, if it's us? It, it, yeah, cat weeps when <laughs> she sees those videos. I check the time like 19,000 times anytime we're off a boat. Anyway. So, McClellan, while they're in Barbados, takes this opportunity to get crazy drunk. and At Senor Frogs? Probably. And the captain had noted, like, this is the kind of thing that he does. Like, he gets drunk and he treats the crew terribly. It's totally uncalled for, he said. Well, as I said, this stop was no different. McClellan got drunk at a cafe and he was complaining about the captain the whole time. And he ended up being thrown in jail. So the captain, being his captain, came to bail him out, which is kind of amazing. But witnesses claim that after he bailed McClellan out, McClellan started a fight and was like, you know, you're a dickbag and I don't like you, blah, blah, blah. With the captain? Yeah. And captain's like, you need to get your shit in order. Witnesses said they heard him say, I'll kill you before it's over, old man. Big thanks to my friend Erica for that. pristine acting well production value yeah that's me adding it and i imagine having this argument like in front of a jail where you've just been released from is really not a good signal Mm. that things are going well going forward for you anyway so it's january 9 1921 and the crew continued on their way back to newport news in the states newport news i still think a very weird name for a town 20 days later, severe storms were noted near Cape Lookout Shoals. That's about 85 nautical miles south of Cape Hatteras. And lightship vessel 80 noted that a man on board the schooner Deering informed the commander of the lightship, Captain Thomas Jacobson, with the help of a megaphone, that the schooner had lost two of its anchors in the storm. And he'd requested that that information be transmitted to their company. Well, unfortunately, Captain Jacobson could not convey that message because his radio was out. He did note, though, that the lanky man with red hair and a Scandinavian accent that had hailed him with the megaphone didn't, quote, look or act or speak like either a master or an officer. He also noted that the rest of the crew that he could see was milling around on the quarter deck of the ship, and that area was usually reserved for the captain. Uh oh. And they seemed to be just like kicking about. Well, several hours after the schooner disappeared over the horizon, 
that lighthouse guide, Jacobson, saw another ship following the same heading approaching from the south. So he sent signals to that second ship to pass on the message about the Deering. Like, hey, this other ship's having problems. My radio's out. But hey, can you go ahead and let someone know that their anchors are gone and they need assistance? But that ship ignored him. So Jacobson blasted the distress signal and the ship turned directly eastward and the crew covered the ship's nameplate in the process. Oh, wow. Super sketchy, right? Yeah. Moving ahead a few days. It's early morning, January 31st, 1921, and a Coast Guard beach patrol spotted the Deering. It was, quote, driven high up on the shoal in a boiling bed of breakers with all sails standing as if she'd been abandoned in a hurry. It was off the Cape Hatteras in the Outer Banks, also known as Diamond Shoals, which Diamond Shoals, I imagine, is called that because of the the breaking waves and the sparkly Mm -hmm, water. mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. it sounds very picturesque, but apparently it's very, very dangerous. Also sounds like a... A great stripper name. You're not wrong. Hmm. Either way, stormy weather and high seas prevented rescue personnel from getting close to the ship. It wasn't until February 4th that the ship could be boarded, at which time a tugboat rescue crew led by Captain James Carlson went upon the Deering. There was no one on board. Mm. The ship's lifeboats, navigational equipment, and chronometer were missing as well. Jacob's ladders were hanging down the sides of the ship. Both main anchors were missing, and two red lights were placed on top of each other at the main mast, which is the visual signal of distress or the ship's inability to maneuver. The steering equipment was disabled. The wheel had been shattered. The rudder was disengaged from its stock. And the binnacle box was staved in and broken. She's all stove up. She's all stove up. And there was a sledgehammer leaning ominously nearby. There were scraps of paper scattered about the bathroom. And there was a fully prepared meal in the galley, as if the sailors were about to eat before they had to make a hasty departure. Coffee was still sitting on the stove. This is all very strange. The only thing found aboard the ship was a six-toed cat. Those on board found a map indicating the daily positions of the ship, and it showed Captain Warmel's distinctive handwriting until January 23rd. After that date, someone else was recording positions. Hmm. The U.S. government immediately launched an extensive investigation that lasted until late 1922. But an official finding was never made on the incident. And, and they never found any of the crew members? No wreckage of lifeboats. No person huh. ever found. There are a few remaining pieces of the Carol A. Deering, including her bell, on display at the Graveyard of the Atlantic Museum in North Carolina. The rest of the ship was destroyed because they determined it was going to be a hazard for other ships. And bits of it were continually found for years and years and years. But no sign of the crew once on board the Carol Deering. Okay, I'm sure there's some theories, and you being a mystery-solving type, what's your theory? Well, there are a lot of theories. Some people just believe, okay, bad weather, things got bad, and everyone just bailed. 
But there are a lot of things that don't quite line up Mm -hmm. with that. Mm -hmm. There are some believe that it has to do with pirates, that pirates got on board and did their piratey thing. But really nothing that would be considered a pirate's booty was taken from the ship. So Hmm. that doesn't make any sense, nor does the fact that none of the crew was found ever. There are some believe that it is a paranormal kind of incident, that they made their way through the Bermuda Triangle and that was bad news bears for them. Aha. Okay, yeah. Um, Now it all makes sense. Yeah, but it didn't catch up with them until they were in North Carolina. (laughs) Well, sometimes there's a lag. Sure. It's called paranormal latency. The most popular theory is that it was a mutiny, that the captain was right, that the new first mate was not to be trusted, and that the captain was somehow made indisposed, Mm. and that the first mate was not capable of sailing the ship and crashed it into the... Okay. All right. To the shoals. That that makes a certain amount of sense. But then again, where did they all go? Where did they all go? And did someone smash up the place with a sledgehammer? Yeah. What's with that shredded paper? Mm. That was in the bathroom? Mm-hmm. Reading material. You think so? Or Charmin. It was just shredded paper. Oh. Not toilet paper. Oh. Or tissue paper, as some t- people t- call it. Tissue. Tissue paper. Anyway, that's the mystery of the Carol Deering. Built in Bath, Maine. Which, by the way, after this summer in Florida, I desperately want a cabin in Maine. (laughs) I understand that. We should start a GoFundMe. (laughs) (laughs) I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our Aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids. And they live about 3,000 miles away. And my daughter is expecting a child. And she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the Aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing. If you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura frames. And living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. 
Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings, while kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parenting kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. And now... That thing in the middle. One of the requirements and duties of the office of the U.S. president is to attend a lot of formal affairs that require a great deal of pomp and circumstance. So it's interesting to note that Thomas Jefferson hated formal affairs so much that he would often greet foreign dignitaries while wearing his pajamas. So recently, we talked about superstitions related to shoes. I had no idea there were so many. And we had a great time talking about shoe superstitions. Unfortunately, since then, we have received approximately 27 messages (laughs) regarding the fact that I failed to come up with superstitions. Yeah, I I saw those or a handful of them. Shame on you. I know. I'm so sorry. (laughs) It was low hanging fruit and I missed it. Jen sent us an email curator at the box of oddities.com loved your description of the house on the rock as a homegrown Wisconsinite. I've made a handful of visits. It's as strange and overwhelming as you described, but I wanted to let you know that Wisconsin also boasts the rock in the house in Fountain City, literally a house into which a ginormous boulder from off the Mississippi River bluffs sits inside. Oh, in all of its underwhelmingness. (laughs) But at five bucks a pop, you can go see it yourself. I wonder how often tourists have shown up at this house thinking, It was the house on the rock, not the rock in the house. Also, fun fact, my mother dated Alex Jordan briefly back in the 1940s. Oh, my goodness. He was the guy that built the house on the rock, right? Pretty amazing. She said he was just too odd for her tastes. (laughs) But to think, she could have been the queen of the house if she had played her cards right. Thanks, Jan. We just got a message from Johnny on Instagram. Just listened to the latest on shoe superstitions and waited with bated breath to hear one of you say superstitions. (laughs) Yeah. That moment never came. Damn it. Ah, wow. Tanner sent us an email. Wanted to let you guys know about uh, me shitting myself on a rural highway in the middle of Missouri. Oh, good. My dog Jazz and I were on a little trip from Kansas, where I'm from, to Arkansas to visit my grandma. I'm tooling along rural highways in southern Missouri at about 1.30 in the morning listening to a wonderful story from Cat. 
All of a sudden, a demon jumps out of my truck speakers. That's when the pants shitting ensued. I yelled, what the fuck? And it woke Jazz up in the passenger seat. I wanted to rewind it and make sure I wasn't losing my shit. I was very relieved to hear that it was a power surge of some sort and not just me slipping into the fiery depths of, of below. Um, yeah, I remember that. We were recording during a thunderstorm and there was a power surge and it. We actually saw lightning or a big flash anyway come out of uh, our microphone. It was weird. Fortunately, we all survived. And we got a message from Cecily on Instagram with a bunch of pictures of House on the Rock. And it says, this house pissed me off so much. (laughs) Holy shit. There's too much. And it smelled like a rotting animal. It turns out a mouse died in the wall in the living room. Zero out of ten. Don't recommend. But yeah, you should definitely go. (laughs) (laughs) Spoken like a true freak. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. More fun than a Civil War reenactment without the smell of fried chicken, sweaty wool, and sunscreen. This is The Box of Oddities. I love a good, true paranormal experience. Um, maybe not me experiencing it, but listening to other people who've experienced it. But I've had them too. And there was one I talked about in a very early episode. And um, I was looking for information. This was when the podcast was really just a baby podcast. And we didn't, baby. didn't have a, a ton of listeners. Now we're very fortunate to have all of you freaks, this giant freak family. I thought maybe I would tell the story again and perhaps somebody can offer some sort of an explanation. You're talking about the creepy door troll? Creepy door troll. Yeah. I was seven years old and I had a seizure and I went into a coma for 36 hours. And when I woke up, I was in the Boston Children's Hospital in the intensive care ward, uh, which, by the way, was on the seventh floor at the time. I don't know why I remember that, but... um, My bed faced the door to the bathroom. Was it heaven? No, it wasn't heaven. (laughs) (laughs) The door was closed and it had a unusual wood grain 
pattern in the in the staining of the wood and it it looked roughly like the outline of a person you know you could see the head and it come down to the shoulders and then just kind of flow down to the to the ground one night in the middle of the night i perceived this as happening um a figure stepped out of the door it was the exact same shape as the stain Mm. in the wood grain stepped out of the door and it I interpreted it as a figure in a like a dark robe okay. and it walked over to the side of my bed and I didn't feel any fear or anything like that. And then I fell back asleep again. The next morning I woke up and the kid in the uh, bed next to me had passed away. Mm-hmm. If anybody has any ideas as to what that might have been, maybe it was just my seven year old uh, recently came out of a coma uh, brain Maybe I was closer somehow to the other side of the veil because I had been in a coma for 36. I don't know. But if anybody has any insights on this, I would love to hear it because it's haunted me ever since then. (laughs) Not in a bad way, but just, you know, what the hell was that? I'm going to talk about real paranormal encounters. Well, at least encounters that people said are real. Sure. Mostly from Reddit. Here we go. Reddit user Zerbo has this story. The ambulance company that I used to work for had a, quote, haunted ambulance. It was called Rig Number 12. A lot of EMTs had stories about it, but I never put much stock into paranormal stuff. That is, until I had my own experience with Rig 12. My partner and I were working in a rural community at 3 a.m., and it was pitch dark and completely quiet. We were both dozing. I was in the driver's seat, and she was in the passenger seat. I woke up to a muffled voice, but I thought it was my partner talking. I told her I was trying to sleep and closed my eyes. Then I distinctly heard a male voice say, Oh my God, am I dying? Followed by a few seconds of heavy breathing. My partner and I sat straight up and looked back into the patient compartment where it sounded like the voice had come from. Things were quiet for a couple of seconds, and then we heard the click of an oxygen bottle regulator and a hiss as it was leaking. I turned on the lights, and we ran around. I thought maybe a transient might have climbed into the back while we were we were dozing, but we opened the door, and there was no one in there. I checked the oxygen bottles. Neither had been opened. We didn't sleep much after that. There are very few things that are creepier to me than a haunted ambulance. <laughs> Reddit user Abby's Alibi. I shared this one. My neighbor Diane and I had a playful poltergeist. For years, we called him Billy. I'd come home and find something put in a weird place, like milk was in the cupboard or toilet paper in the refrigerator, Mm -hmm. laundry detergent in the bathtub. Diane once called to ask if Billy had been around because she couldn't find a gallon of milk, and we finally found it out on her back steps. And sugar? Darn sugar, every morning my sugar bowl was empty. When I'd had enough one day, I'd point to Diane's home and yell, Go see Diane. Within five minutes, she called me up and said, Thanks a lot. Apparently he had gone over there and was messing with her at that point, too. (laughs) Stealing her sugar? Yeah, stealing her sugar, hiding her milk or whatever. Seems like a weird thing for a poltergeist to do, but... Well, he was playful. It had a sweet tooth. He was a poltergeist with a sweet tooth. Diggs Dawes wrote, A few years ago, I moved into a one-bedroom apartment in Melbourne, Australia. It was my first time living on my own. 
The apartment block had been built in the 1930s. I'd been there for a few months when I came home from work one day and went into the bathroom and I saw something strange. A wooden board which had covered a hole in the ceiling that led to a small attic space lay fractured in two pieces on the ground. And I examined the pieces. The board was about an inch thick and it would have taken Bruce Lee to break it. I thought the landlord had sent someone over to work on the attic, but I was still frozen stiff with fear. Someone is up there for sure, I thought. So I emailed pictures to, to the landlord asking if anyone had been up there. In her reply, she wrote, Please call me as soon as you're able to. And so I called her and she explained that her last two tenants had said the same thing had happened. She promised to replace it and she did. A month later, I woke up one night. It was about four in the morning. My body was covered in goosebumps. I felt like someone was rubbing his or her hands on me. Everything was silent. But then I heard a dragging sound coming from above my bed. It was as if someone was pulling a sack of potatoes. I froze, convinced someone was up there. And there's no way an animal could make this kind of a sound. After five minutes, I worked up my courage to turn on the light. I armed myself with a cricket bat <laughs> and walked to the bathroom. That's when I saw the new board that was covering the hole was lying on the floor and broken in two. I felt sick. Oof. The dragging sound had stopped, but then I heard something else. Whispering. The sound was clear and coming from the attic. It sounded like children's voices, and I could hear one sentence repeated over and over. It's your turn. It's your turn. I switched on every light in the apartment to make things feel normal. It was about 5 a.m. and dark outside. I watched TV to try to unwind, and then a fuse blew. My pet budgie, Dexter, whom I kept in the kitchen, usually never made a sound at night. But he started squawking like he was being strangled. I'd never heard him make those sorts of noises. He was screaming. I grabbed my car keys and ran outside and sat in the car and waited until the sun came up. When I saw people walking their dogs, this comforted me enough to go back inside. The front door was open, but I figured I might have forgotten to close it on my way out. I went to the kitchen to check on Dexter. He wasn't in his cage. I felt sick again. All my windows were closed, so I looked everywhere inside. When I walked to the bathroom, I heard splashing. Dexter was half drowned in the toilet. I took him out, washed him off, dried him up. He was fine. I was very confused by this. That's why we always keep the toilet seat down. Sidebar, it never ceases to amaze me how many times we have looked at uh, rental properties or pictures online of rental properties or homes for sale, and they always photograph the bathroom with the, with the toilet seat up. I don't, why does that bother me so much? Well, because if you have a bird, it's dangerous. <laughs> so at 8 a.m., I called the landlord, gave her a watered-down version of the night. Oh, wow, you heard the whispering, too, she said. Uh, excuse me? I stayed in that apartment for another 18 months. I heard the whispering on several more occasions, and twice the board covering the hole in the ceiling moved. Although I live elsewhere now, the landlord recently called. She said that her new tenants had begged to speak with me about some of the stuff that's been going on in there. Forget it, I said. It's their problem now. Well, in Australia, you never know. Could be like a moth. They're huge. In Australia? Yeah. yeah. And might be trying to kill you. Also in Australia, up is down, down is up. <laughs> right. It's essentially Stranger Things. Commendo 4, 
wrote this story. One night when I was 10, I was woken up by my bedroom door opening, Mm. followed by someone sitting on my bed. I felt my leg grazed as the bed sunk under a person's weight. It's just mom, I thought. And then I opened my eyes. It was not mom. It was an eyeless boy. He had black, empty sockets. About my age, sitting at the foot of my bed, he extended his hand, and in it was a little box. Aw, gifties. I was startled, but reached out, and then he pulled it back. I reached out again and said, give it. Then I blinked, and when I reopened my eyes, he was gone, but I could still see the imprint where he had sat on my bed. Fast forward five years, my girlfriend came over to do homework. After she finished, she took a little nap while she was waiting for her parents. When they arrived, I tried to wake her up. She opened her eyes suddenly, looked up at the corner where the wall meets the ceiling. She pointed there and then fell back asleep. Ooh. So I shook her again. She came to fully conscious and I explained to her what she had done. She looked haunted. Up on the wall, she said, I saw a little boy with no eyes. He was in the corner in a Spider-Man pose staring at me. Okay, well, I don't. I don't love that. I freaked out and told her my story about the same kid. Fast forward another five years. I'm with the same girlfriend. We have a two-year-old now, and we're living in my parents' house in my old room. In sin. My daughter started waking up at the same time every night, and she'd talk. After a while, I noticed that she had almost the same conversation every night. I playfully asked her once whom she was speaking with. She said, it's a little boy. He's nice. He's lost and looking for his mommy. My daughter's nightly conversations continued until we got our own place later that year. Oof. She didn't mention that he didn't have eyes? No, she not in this story. He didn't mention if she had mentioned that he didn't have eyes. I would think that would be something you would point out. Yeah, she was a little girl. Yeah, but little kids are judgmental as heck. If you have a weird birthmark, they'll point it out, let alone if you don't have any eyeballs. <laughs> Good point. Specknaz posted this story. I was seven or eight years old when I had a horrible nightmare, which I believe was not a nightmare, but more of a spiritual attack. It began when I fell asleep and I was woken up by a woman in a blue Victorian dress. It was like I was trapped in the 18th century. I tried to speak to some of the other adults and children, but it was like they couldn't hear or see me. That's interesting. It's like they were the ghost in the other right. in the other people's reality, kind of like uh, the others. The others, starring I'll, Nicole Kidman. I love that movie. <laughs> I walked around this farm-looking area and to where the farm and the field met a forest, and I decided to leave because they didn't seem to want to speak to me or couldn't. I made my way for about five minutes from the farmhouse and sat under a tree and noticed that the trees had apples on them. So I snatched one off the branch and decided to eat it. When I finished eating the apple, I felt that something had changed in the atmosphere, that dread and despair was coming in a way I would least expect it. It was about sunset when I noticed that something was coming toward me with terrifying inhuman speed. It was the blue-dressed Victorian woman, and she looked furious. She was asking me why I ate the apple from the tree and that bad kids must be killed. I was horrified. 
She tripped me up and dragged me all the way back to the farmhouse, where she threw scalding hot water on me, splashed it all over my hands, and started hitting me with a blunt object. I made several attempts to be polite, but nothing would work. She was narcissistic and cunning and would blow off in an inhuman crazed state where she would scream and throw hot scalding water on me. Mm, I've met people like that. (laughs) Unfortunately, so have I. She had this menacing stare that went right through you, and there was just nothing I could do. When I woke up from the dream, I got into the shower, and the water temperature was normal until I could hear her in my ears again, and then the water turned hot and burned me in the exact same place that she burned me in my dream. Mm. I'm glad I haven't had an experience like that again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. me too. That was a pretty vivid dream. That sounds terrible. The one that gets you the most, though, is the kid sticking to the wall yeah yeah okay i get it i was just reading an interesting article about how some researchers believe that incidents of like alien abduction where people feel like they are being you know coming up out of their body Mm -hmm. and and losing time and such is actually a form of sleep paralysis yeah no i've I've heard that as well and it's funny you mentioned the alien abduction thing because i've often thought i wondered if my experience in the hotel in the um, hospital room Mm -hmm. was some sleep paralysis some sort of a well maybe you know but it could be interpreted as an alien abduction in fact, when I think about the way they looked or that the way that person looked in the face, it in my small child's mind, it looked like um, one of the puppets from the old TV show for children, Kukla, Fran, and Ollie. But, <laughs> I've never yeah, heard of that. <laughs> it, it's it's ancient show. When I was watching it as a, as a kid, it was, had been in reruns for like 15 years. So it was like from the 60s. It was even earlier than that. But the thing that I saw reminded me of Ollie, one of the puppets. And there's a picture of it. And he was a dragon. He was of reptilian nature. Does he have one eye? No, he's looking sideways oh. in that picture. That's a weird looking puppet. Mm. I th- it's enough to give you nightmares. Yeah, that, probably that's all it is. <laughs> probably. Well, that was fun and creepy. We love hearing about your stories of the paranormal, too. <gasps> Can we use my segue okay, yeah. stinger? Because this is the perfect opportunity for it. Segway. And if you've got a good story of your encounter, or maybe you saw an encounter that somebody had with the paranormal, or just an unusual strange situation, tell us your story, record it on your phone, and email it to us at curator at the box of Based on this episode, it would be like, does someone keep stealing your sugar? Email us. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly proudly, you beautiful freak. So, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories, stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast. 
on Twitter at Box of Oddities and Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.